Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby. Let's join Mike and Kentucky Dave as they strive to be informative, entertaining, and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Oh man, it's the new year, Dave, and we got new stuff going on. How about that? Yep, yep. It's uh, 2023 is going to be a, a, an even better year than 2022 was, and 2022 was pretty darn good for, for Plastic Model Mojo and you and me. Well, we want to give a quick thanks to uh, Bob Bear, the voice of Bob, for uh, helping us out with our intro there, Dave. Oh, it was fantastic. I love that. I thought I thought you'd suddenly hit puberty. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a... A real baritone now. <laughs> That's right. In the third chair with us tonight is Jim Bates of Scale Canadian TV. Jim, what's up on the West Coast? Uh, nothing much. I just want to ask, is that the voice of Bob or the voices in Bob's head? You'll have to ask him. <laughs> I am great. <laughs> How are you guys? Uh, we're great. And we're going to get rolling right out of the, right the shoot here, man. Uh, Jim, what's up in your model sphere? Well, it depends what you mean. If you mean what's going on on my bench, nothing. If you mean, am I gearing up for the uh, Model Mania show in February at the Museum of Flight? Yes. Basically, it's all show prep at this point. Well, how's that going? Um, it's going well. I am. I, I, I tend to have problems where I hold two completely divergent fears in my head. And my fear is I'm going to run out of tables. And my other fear is nobody's going to show up. So I don't know how I can be afraid of both of those, but uh, it's coming along well. I think it's going to be a good show. Well, planning for both of those equals mediocrity. <laughs> well, I think our record was 3,000 models, and that'll never happen again. That was, was stressful for everybody, but probably, hopefully, 1,500 or so. We'll see what happens. You're the solo show chair this time, right? I am. So it all falls on me. That's great. Well, go ahead and before we go on with the rest of the Model Sphere stuff, uh, when, when, and where's the show? The show is at the Museum of Flight. It is February 18th and 19th. That's Saturday and Sunday. It is now officially titled Model Mania. And this is my uh, idea of doing a show with no contest, it's just an exhibition. We will have. Uh, display models. We will have one award. That's the curator's choice selected by oddly the curator. And uh, we'll have seminars. Our special displays this year will be Black History Month and the World of Gundam. Oh, that's fantastic. And if you haven't been, we hold the show at the Great Gallery of the Museum of Flight underneath the Blackbird. Well, Dave, what's up in your model sphere? It's 2023. I have sworn that this year is the year that I eliminate wasted time from my life to find more modeling time. 2022 was good. 2023, I I am 
I'm determined to make even better, but unfortunately, my start to 2023 has not been great simply from the standpoint that work is interfering. I've got a trial scheduled at the end of January, ironically, in in Mike's hometown in, in Lexington down the road, and that's that's sucking up a lot of free time. Well, if you're going to be camped out here for a day or so, you, we have to make some plans. Oh, definitely. Most definitely. So what's... What's your model sphere look like? Well, I tell you, I'm trying to figure out which shows I'm going to go to. You mean we? Well, yeah, we're going to go to. Right. Though your chance of going solo are probably higher than mine. Uh. <laughs> I did have something this week, Dave, that's pretty interesting that may feed into our plans as to what to do while you're up here. Um, yeah. I won't go into a lot of detail, but uh, I went to visit uh, our past guest, Alan, from uh, oldmodelkits.com. Yep. Took in his uh, his workspace, we'll say, and uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. That's a that's a lot of model kits. To get this episode moving, I'm assuming everybody is equipped with a modeling fluid. Jim, what's your modeling fluid? I have got a uh, highball, I am told, which is Coke Zero and Rustic River Bourbon from Owensboro, Kentucky, which was a gift of. Uh, Friends of the show, the Knopfel family, they were in town and they passed along this bottle. And I thought, what better night to open it than tonight? Great choice. Great choice. So can't wait to hear how that turns is that out. Hank's, is that Hank and company? That is Hank and company. Hank and Daniel and Carrie. And they were out your way? They were out their way. Uh, Carrie and uh, Daniel are from here. And ah, okay. uh, they came out to see family, and we're staying down in uh, in the Tacoma area. And we met up and had a really nice dinner at Duke's, which is a well-known Seattle uh, fish eatery. Oh, well, that sounds like a great time. It was. I think we closed the restaurant down. I think they had to kick us out. <laughs> so, Mike, do you have a modeling fluid? I do. I'm still sipping on the Michters I got for Christmas. So we did that last time, but that's that's what I'm drinking. And it's still good. Yeah. It didn't go bad. <laughs> I wouldn't think it would. I've got one from up your way, Mike. I've got a beer called Charismatic from Lexington Brewing Company. It is described as a golden pilsner. It's light alcohol-wise, only 4.5%. But I will tell you, the first sip is pretty darn good. And uh, I don't know if you've had it since it's up in your area, but... Uh, uh, I think this one's going to get me through the episode. We'll see how it goes. I'll have to try it because it's an ambitious name for a Pilsner. <laughs> I would have to think. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll let you know at the end. Well, Dave, the holiday schedule has got uh, the mailbag a little light, but uh, I think we got a, f- a few good ones here. Okay. I know there's been some conversations on uh, on Facebook Messenger as there, well. There have. It's actually been pretty pretty busy. Well, I tell you what, let's start uh, with Greg Williams. Now, Greg uh, called in to our little end-of-year call-in thing. Yeah. He appreciates the opportunity to call in to the show, and I think everybody did. We got several of those either immediate messages after we concluded that and uh, through other venues, but it it was good, and we're certainly going to be doing that again. And In fact, I owe somebody else an email, someone not in the United States about – the call in Jim, you should have called in. 
I was at uh, dinner with friends, so I couldn't call in. And I knew I was going to be doing this, so you don't really want that much of me. (laughs) Well, we'll refrain from comment. (laughs) The nice thing was that that was the first time we did it, and so we, we encountered a couple of technology issues. But now we know a lot from that, so that's going to make the next call in even better. As a uh, outside listener, I thought it was very cool. We'll do it at least once again this year, probably twice. All right. Well, this is a good one, Dave. Uh, it's from our friend Steve Husted. Mm-hmm. Thanking us for letting him on the show. Well, I think that's mutual. We want to yeah, thank him for coming on our, our little program here. And uh, I, this reminds me, I, this was supposed to have been in my model sphere because I, I didn't commit it to memory because it was so new. Have you got your journal today? I haven't gotten the newest one yet. Well, Steve spread for his uh, float triplanes in there, and uh, it's an eight-pager, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The last time that, and Jim, you may remember this, I think it was at the, uh, not Virginia Beach, but the Newport News, or or the the other one that was held near Virginia Beach, and there was that B-17 or model 299, the prototype of the B-17, which was a stunning model. And they managed to get the guy who built it to do a large article on it. And whenever they can do that, whenever they can get the the guy who did best, the guy or gal who did best of show to commit to doing an article for the journal, it's it always makes that issue of the journal so much better. So I can't wait to see that. Dave, not only do I remember that, that might be the best, that B-17 article might be the best article I've ever seen in a magazine. I agree. I agree. That because it had all the space to lay out what it needed. It was, it was spectacular. So I hope Steve's is the same. And um, again, as, as, as a listener, I enjoyed uh, Steve's uh, last appearance, but he certainly has a voice for radio. Yes, that he guy does. is buttery smooth when he uh, is on your show. <laughs> well, we're going to have him back to talk about water effects. So Yes. Awesome. And, and probably, probably something after that. You just haven't oh, thought it ab- up yet. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We'll figure that one out. Well, up next is uh, Danny Saint Laurent, and he's from uh, Quebec City, up there in Canada, where Jim's from, sorta. And Dave, he wants to shout out to you for making him discover AK weathering pencils. He went to the hobby shop and saw them hidden in the corner and grabbed a few, and they're just great. So, how's it going with yours, Dave? You know what? Uh, I I used them on the Kate, and again, I'm still not getting the full potential that I think is there, but. Every time I do it, I love them, and I'm learning more and doing more. And man, these things have some some really great potential once I get better at at using them. You're welcome, because man, this is. I made j- joke about uh, AK and Mig, and you know the the dry brushing paint or tube glue or whatever uh, product they they may come out with next, but 
these weathering pencils, these these watercolor weathering pencils, really are a good innovation in the hobby. Jim, you use them? I tried them a little bit. I haven't quite figured out how to use them dry, but what I love about them is turning them into a solution. Yes. And I had, I built a, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. I'm going to call it a Comet. I did build a Comet, but that's not what I mean. A Cromwell, uh, Airfix Cromwell earlier in the year. And it was in winter whitewash. So I painted the whole winter whitewash, but then I had a uh, jerry can that very clearly was not painted when they painted the whitewash. So I wanted a different effect on it. And I took the white AK pencil and turned it into solution and it got me exactly what I wanted. So thumbs up. <laughs> the only thing I learned is the metallics do not go into solution, which made me sad. That that is absolutely correct. The only color the only watercolor pencils that don't go into a solution are the metallic ones. And to be honest with you, that's not really a problem because if you're using the metallics at least to simulate chipping and all, you don't want a solution. You want hard edges and such. I like these things and I can't wait to use them more and actually figure out and learn what, what all of the things I should be doing. Yeah. What I was trying to do, Dave, is I was trying to turn the metallic into a solution as a wash to put into my panel lines for my never ending attempt to make warbirds out of scale models. <laughs> You just have to sharpen up those pencils. The metallic ones, you need to get really sharp. Well, I ended up using one of your favorite products, uh, MIG Ammo Oil Brusher, and that did what I wanted to have happen. I could get that into the panel lines, and it worked out really well. Well, I haven't tried them yet, and I'm not sure I will. So, Up next, Jason Campbell. And uh, Jason is a uh, Gunpla modeler for the most part, and he just attended the 2023 Chattanooga model gone mm-hmm. and he had an experience down there. He didn't like, and it, it's, let me, let me qualify that a little bit. Um, this is not a reflection of the folks in Chattanooga running the event. No, he was extremely complimentary of them. Yes, he was. Uh, he was put off by some sidebar comments being made by folks at the show about, the gunpla entries and you know, it's, it's the typical stuff. It's the, uh, why are they even here? Why would anybody want to do that? How do you even, how do you judge it? What, what's this all about? It's, it's, it's the old, old school curmudgeon kind of stuff. And he was really put out by it. He, he gets sent us a lengthy email and, I, and, and counter to our normal mode of operation here at plastic model mojo, I actually sent this to you and Jim. Yeah. So you could actually formulate some thoughts around this because I thought this one was kind of important. And normally we like to get your stuff off the cuff, but this time I thought maybe this would be a good one to see because back at what we've said before, he says it in this email that he's moved on to other genres of modeling to learn stuff so he can play it back on his stuff. He really rather build, which is the gunplay stuff, right? Aircraft armor, whatever. And, you know, if if folks want this, uh, you know, in the IPMS anyway, if, if they want this thing to have any kind of continuation, to not die with them, yeah, uh, this stuff's got to stop. And and th- th- these folks, 
you know, I'm glad they were at Chattanooga. I think this is the same group that was participating in the Knoxville show. Yeah. Because I think we had a listener mail last time about this at the Chattanooga show coming up, or maybe it was the Murfreesboro show. But, but anyway, uh, what do you think? What do you guys think about this? Well, let, let me start. <laughs> um, as the recruitment and retention secretary for IPMS USA, this drives me up a wall, uh, simply because the the Warhammer people, the Gunpla stuff, the you know, Machine and Krieger, Machine and Krieger. These folks are modelers. They are modelers just like we are. Now they do a different subject, but that's irrelevant. I want the society to grow. I want the hobby to grow, and you know. Even if it's not your cup of tea, you know, what you say in your hotel room with people sitting around, you can say whatever you want. But at the show, do not say that. And the attitude itself is dumb. Yes, I get it. You don't get it. But then again, if you're an aircraft modeler, you may look at cars and go, I don't get it. But it's part of the hobby. And stop being stupid. But I will tell you, we at IPMS USA, uh, and some people don't like it, but we are making a major outreach to the Gunpla, Warhammer, uh, Machine and Krieger, science fiction modelers. They are an air, an untapped area, and IPMS USA is making a concerted effort to bring those folks in. Because again, just like they start modeling in other genres because they want to learn stuff that they can then apply to their models, same thing goes the other way. Okay? We can learn from them. They apply techniques. I mean, as an example, and it's a small example, Mike, you and I have mentioned once or twice before, usually after the Wonderfest show. The guys at, at science fiction are worlds ahead of everybody else using lighting kits and stuff like that to enhance models. And they truly do enhance the appearance of models. But those guys are world ahead. When the rubber hits the road, you know, these folks aren't squawking about, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars models. Right. That's no more based in reality than Gunpla. I mean, does it make any difference if it's a fictional movie with live actors in it or some uh, Japanese anime? No. I mean, really? No. Nope. Uh, t- to me, it doesn't. And, and then, you know, we've, we, he, he called into our, our end of year episode, Brian Dinklow at the uh, Build Sideways podcast. I mean, you've seen the stuff he's built. Absolutely. The, the Gunpla and, and all that. And it's <laughs> to say he's not a modeler. I mean, God, yep. I mean that would be insulting. I mean, yep. it is. And and it is insulting, you know, guys, be welcoming because the hobby as a whole needs as many people as it can get. You don't have to to be ha- to have any interest in a particular area of modeling to see the beauty, to see the art, to take 5 minutes instead of making a snide comment, take 5 minutes and talk to the person about what they're doing and why they're doing it and you're going to find you you're going to scratch you scratch the 
the Gunpla modeler or the Warhammer modeler, you're going to find a modeler. So I'll shut up now. Because <laughs> Jim's chomping at the bit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jim, 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 Jim and I have had this conversation. In fact, he's he is actively recruiting uh, Gunpla modelers out in the Pacific Northwest. Well, Jim, you alluded to it in your little pitch for your uh, Museum of Flight show, so... Lay it on us, brother. That's that's flat out why I decided one of the special subjects at our February show would be Gundam. Um, I first of all, his email made me really sad to read. Um, it's just there's so many things that I could parse on that. The first one being, if you don't like something, you know, first of all. One of the struggles I even have in the hobby is people are so negative. Like if it's not what I build, it's 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 garbage. And that's not the approach we should have. We should be positive. And and maybe maybe I spend too much time trying to live positively instead of negatively. But one, don't be saying those things. Like Dave said, if you're doing it in your hotel room with your two buddies, knock yourself out. But don't say that kind of don't be negative in on the show floor. I wish that was something we could have at IPMS shows of don't be negative on the show floor. But his, his sign off was for the hobby to grow the elitist attitude of one subject being better than the other must die. All modeling is awesome. And all of us can teach new things to one another sums it up to me. I think that there are so many, first of all, Gundam is, is the highest selling model. So I always wonder if there's some like insecurity in IPMS that these things are more popular (laughs) Um, and, and that's where some of this comes from, but they are, and this is what the young people and the kids do. And I don't necessarily feel that the sci-fi aspect is the issue here. I feel like it's just something different. Um, and, and arguably I would say the Gundams are more real than the Star Wars stuff. Well, that's not really true because there's an X-Wing in the Smithsonian, but there are full scale Gundams in Japan. So they are real things, you know? Um, I don't care where people come from. I just want people plastic scale modeling. And this is no more different than anything we do. And I think one of the things us older modelers need to realize, and I struggle with this because I'm a research guy, is people aren't necessarily as interested in the full size original that maybe I am and even airplane modelers or armor modelers are doing things that are sort of sci-fi because they're not building a specific airplane from a photo. And I've done that, you know, that's kind of the way I approach the hobby, but there's a million different ways and all of them are acceptable. And it makes me sad that people are bad mouthing this. And I think that Jason's email shows we can attract people into other modeling genres by being welcoming to the Gundam guys. And we have a young guy, Josh, in our local club. He showed up at the February show. He's given me a couple Gundams to build, one of which I'm at working on right now. And he started building, you know, some Battlestar Galactica. I think that's actually a favorite. And doing looking at doing a tank. So I think everything is a crossover and, and all, all models matter, I guess, is my, uh, <laughs> is, is my slogan. And I think it's just time for people to stop being negative, be inclusive rather than exclusive. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. And, and the hobby's not going to grow if we say the only real things are tanks and airplanes. Anything else? 
No. I think we... Uh, Not unless you want me to cuss. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wouldn't want that, Dave. That's right. Don't make me check the box. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, finally on the uh, email front is uh, our good friend from New York City, Mr. Michael Karnaka. Oh, we got a question. Uh, I have a question. What New Year's resolution do you wish model companies would make for their new year and beyond? <laughs> for him, it's two things. He wishes uh, manufacturers would stop supplying soft plastic or vinyl tires. That's a good one. The rubber portions of tank road wheels and stuff. Uh, yep. He'd rather have less detailed parts and styrene than the gimmickry rub- rubber stuff. Well, I'm not so sure they're less detailed. They're, they may be more detailed. Right. But I agree that's kind of gimmicky. Got the hard seams to get rid of, et cetera. And then uh, his other one is the uh, delusions of grandeur with the model kit announcements. <laughs> they'll make an announcement or a slate of announcements and they'll get through about two-fifths of it or whatever. And uh, the one the one you're really interested in never comes to fruition. It just disappears. Well, you know, having grown up in the 80s and 90s, Mike, I'm sure you're, you remember the term vaporware. Yes. Where software companies would announce products specifically to try and keep other companies from releasing similar products, even though they had no intent or ability to actually release the software. They just wanted to freeze the other companies in place. And I'm not so sure that that model companies don't do that as well. Well, at least they freeze it till they can get around to doing it themselves on on their own schedule. Exactly. Do you have one, Dave? That uh, well, mine is personal. You, it's not you wish for they mod- would do. It's not for model companies. It's for me. I need, to, as I mentioned earlier, I need to do better with my time management. I've got a bunch of dead time in my life that I need to recover and utilize. So the one thing you can't get more of is time. So you need to utilize the time you've got the best you can. So it's not for model companies. It's for me. Although if the model companies want to be more efficient, so they release the more of the stuff they've announced more quickly, I'm all for it. Cause I'm still waiting for that Connecticut kinetic C17 that was announced for like four or five years ago. <laughs> what about you, Jim? It's very simple for me. I don't need the photo etch. I don't need the resin. Just put the masks in the kit so I don't have to buy them separately, please. <laughs> yes. Amen, Jim. Good, good, good one. I'm going to double down on one of his, man. I The vinyl tires, I can't stand that. No. You you immediately go looking for the resin aftermarket, right? So I I, I think it was that uh, in my last broke broke your wallet segment, I, I bought that AFV Club uh, uh, that German armored car. Yeah, it's got freaking vinyl tires in it. Freaking vinyl tires. Is that like uh, 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 what was it? Vinyl ba- tires. Bass with laser beams. <laughs> You know, I was going to ask, do the car guys hate them as much as we do? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think that's that's a great question. Any of you car modelers out there listening, you know, almost every car kit comes with those 
black vinyl tires. Do you all hate them? Do you all replace them? Or are they okay for you all? Please let us know because I'd like some insight on that. Yeah, because it seems interesting that all the armor guys are always buying resin replacements. And I don't know, like I just literally have no clue if the car guys do the same thing. But the far worst vinyl I've ever had to deal with in my life was this company called AMT did an F7F Tiger Cat in 48 scale. And yep. Dave is going to probably block me for saying this because I'm going to mention something not in 72nd, but it was a newer tool than the 72nd scale kit. Yeah, I bought this kit, threw it in the stash. There were some vinyl tires in the plastic. I pull it out to build it, and whatever vinyl they used not only etched the plastic, it ate into the plastic. So yeah. I had fuselage halves with giant tire impressions in the side. Yeah. So that uh, kit went in the garbage. That was very disappointing. Well, Dave, like I said, that's the uh, the last one for the, the email account. What's been happening on Facebook? Oh, lots of stuff. Facebook's probably been more active than the emails over the last two weeks. Uh, first of all, a number of people have DM'd me to tell me that they're that my constant nagging has finally had the effect and they've joined IPMS or USA or rejoined IPMS. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, believe me, I bring that to the attention of the IPMS eboard every chance I get. So I appreciate you all not only doing that, but tell, telling me you've done it. And there are too many people to mention, but thank you all for doing it. We've had a bunch of interesting ones. Uh, let me start with Bruce Warall, Evans Keeper. And Bruce took offense at my deriding the Kingfisher as an ugly aircraft, but he kind of misunderstood what I was referring to. I was not referring to the float plane version, which is actually not a bad looking aircraft. Not the greatest, but not bad. But we had a discussion about what I meant, which was the land plane version where the floats are removed and they put wheels on the, the fixed landing gear on the aircraft, as opposed to wheels on the floats, which they did sometime for beaching and such. Uh, and so we had a real nice exchange and exchanged basically pictures of ugly kingfishers with their, with the true landing gear, fixed landing gear on there. And he he was willing to admit that that is aesthetically challenged. <laughs> Our friend Tyler Artis reached out, and uh, A, he said he was looking forward to seeing us at BlizzCon in Columbus. So, Mike, you now have to make sure you can attend BlizzCon. But he also wanted me to mention that the Buckeye Classic model show is in Hilliard, Ohio on March 18th. Doors open at 8 a.m. This is an automotive show. He wants everybody to know, to be aware that the Buckeye Classic in Hilliard, Ohio is going to be on Saturday, March 18th at 8 a.m. And they're going to have a full vendor room as well as an automotive model contest. Next, you, you and I both responded to this guy. It's kind of interesting. We had a, a listener named Tyler Jones reach out to us. Tyler, if you're listening, hi. And and Tyler, Tyler was an interesting listener. 
Uh, he hadn't modeled as a child. He started listening to the podcast, and he also had been watching modeling YouTube videos and such, and became interested in modeling. And he wanted to start modeling, uh, which, again, is unusual. Usually, most of the folks who uh, Mike and I talk to say, you know, I'm re-entering the hobby after X number of years, etc. But but Tyler was uh, completely, he hadn't done modeling at all. And so he was asking for advice regarding tools, and he didn't want to buy crappy tools and then find out, you know, as he got more into the hobby that he, you know, needed to replace those less than great tools with better tools. He and Mike and I had an interesting uh, discussion about what's a good first kit, what are your areas of interest, talked about airbrushes, talked about other tools. Um, uh, Mike pointed him toward uh, Dr. Strangebrush because uh, uh, Harder and Steenbeck has released a new uh, beginner airbrush or entry-level airbrush that's uh, somewhat equivalent to the Badger 150. So uh, it was it was kind of interesting to act to interact with somebody who had no history in the hobby whatsoever, but through YouTube and through listening to podcasts, has suddenly become interested and wants to try his hand at it. So I I I found that kind of interesting and encouraging, didn't you, Mike? I did, but I think it's an AK airbrush. That's the beginner one or the oh, entry level one. AK, okay, sorry, H and S AK. But I get my he stuff. can sort he can sort that out with the Mister Miller, Doctor Miller, yes. and uh, hopefully uh, get something good he can try out there. Yep, and and one of the things you pointed out to him regarding Doctor Miller is that if you purchase from him, not only are you purchasing from him, but as we've noted on the podcast before. John is very, very open to particularly people with questions. John's John's a teacher by nature. And so he's very open to if you can't figure out how to do something or if you're having trouble doing something, uh, he's he's really good at that. So uh, that was a that was a great interaction. Is that it? That's it from Facebook. All right. Well, that's it for listener mail. All right. Well, this is the point in the podcast where I ask you if, when you're done listening to this, if you'll please rate us on whatever podcast app you're listening to us on. Uh, give us five-star rating. It helps us become more visible and grow. Additionally, if you're listening to us, most almost all of you know at least one other modeler. You're interacting with another modeler. Maybe that modeler doesn't know about podcasts, doesn't listen to Plastic Model Mojo. Please take a minute, tell them about it, and not only that, help them and show them how to access it. We continue to grow. Mike and I are constantly talking about the continued growth and 
and how it surprises us in some ways. So if you would please help us out, we appreciate that. In addition to that, please check out all the other podcasts out there in the in the uh, model sphere. You can do that by going to www.modelpodcasts.com. That's model podcast plural. is a consortium website set up with the help of Stuart Clark up in Canada, the Scale Model Podcast. And we've created a website there with the, the banners to all the podcasts who are with us in spirit of cross-promotion. And uh, you can go there and find all the other podcasts and give those folks a listen, too. In addition to podcasts, we've got a lot of blog and YouTube friends out there in the model sphere. We've got Jeff Groves at uh, Inch High Guy blog. He's the 72nd scale guy. He's got all kinds of information out there for you 72nd scale fans. Uh, Stephen Lee, Sprue Pie with Frets, long and short form blog. Uh, I haven't checked him out lately. Dave, what's he been up to? He's actually been doing more short form stuff of late, basically views from his bench. He's been doing a ton of vehicles of light and and really just uh, the consistent quality it's it's always nice to visit every day to see see what's up be it a short short uh article or a more long uh, a longer think piece so stop by and also chris wallace model airplane maker uh he just dropped one not too long ago about uh, top shelf modelers it was kind of humorous and funny and uh Always looking forward to his YouTube releases and and his blog. So check out the Model Airplane Maker blog. He also just dropped a uh, video over the weekend about his most wanted kits for 2023. I was going to bring that up. That is uh, pretty awesome. And Jim, you got a little YouTube channel too. Why don't you tell us about Scale Canadian TV and uh, what's going on? I used to do this a Scale Canadian TV YouTube thing. I kind of... Uh, <laughs> The last quarter of 2022 kind of wasn't the best for a lot of different reasons and got distracted, but I am a well-known Airfix apologist, and tomorrow, well, when we're recording, but this will have happened by the time you hear this, on Tuesday, Airfix released their uh, new releases for 2023, so that might bring the scale Canadian out of hibernation. Well, we hope so. I'm counting on that. And check out our good friend Evan McCallum, Panzermeister36 on YouTube. He's always got something you need to go watch. Indeed, he does. Finally, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show how people have been responding to my constant nagging by actually joining IPMS USA. Uh, if you're not a member of IPMS USA, IPMS Canada, IPMS Israel, IPMS Norway, wherever you happen to live, if you're not a member of your national IPMS organization, please join. Uh, the national organization does a lot of good. All right. Well, we've mentioned them before, but let's have a word from our sponsor, Model Paint Solutions. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder steam back airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. Well, guys, it's coming make it to Texas time. It's getting close, Dave. Closer. Yes. yes, it is. At the time of this recording, we are a mere 206 days away from the IPMS National Convention in San Marcos, Texas. We're making fantasy plans in earnest. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I know, man. What's going to happen there? Jim, what about you? Are you going to make it? I sure hope so. <laughs> well, um, we hope you do, too. I don't I don't have a hotel room or a plane ticket, but plane tickets are easy to get. And um, 
I, you know, I'll just show up and stay on your guys' couch. Yeah, you that there that couch is available. I, I thought you already had a squatter invite. Uh, I think Bruce Worrell gave me an invite. Um, I think Tim Nelson might have an extra bad. It's it, it'll it'll fi- I'll figure it out. So we could all kick you out, and you'd have some place to go the next night. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Because I don't know how quickly before I'll get uh, kicked out myself, you know? So I better have multiple places to stay. As long as the police don't show up and kick us all out, that'll be great. Well, you know, I after the SWAT team showed up in Omaha, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to how we're going to top that. <laughs> uh, well, I can't wait, Mike. That's going to be a, a good show. Well, at the time of this recording, we're going to give this one a little bit of a pause and, and uh, make our jokes there and... Not say a whole lot. I have an update from Brandon Jacob, double or special agent Double uh, O Three, and uh, I owe him some uh, Winter Blitz airtime, and I've failed to get that into this episode. We're gonna have to record a little special with him, so I'll be in contact tact with him this week and see if we can't set that up, Dave, and try to get that in after this episode, but before the next one. Sounds good. Well, if we skip on down the list, guys, it's uh, the Benchtop Halftime Report uh, brought to us by Tackett Z, Ed Tackett, our friend from the club, www.tackettz.com, the must-have tools for the model maker. And, you know, he had something on there. I was on his website yesterday, and uh, he's got, for the dropper bottles, you know, I've got those racks I got from him. He's got some now that will mount on a pegboard. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I want to see that because that could come in really useful. Yeah, I think that one gets it off the bench, right? Yeah, exactly. Anything that will clear space on my bench, which right now you couldn't find six square inches of clear space. It's sad. Well, I'm sure that's yours. But, Jim, what do you got going on on your bench? Oh, not not much. And I need to get moving because I have a Spitfire, a Buzz Burling Spitfire I have to have done for early January for a display at the museum. And then I have a bow fighter that I've got, excuse me, get done for my show. Um, and then I've got another spitfire that needs to be done for the museum in, I want to say June. So I, I got to get building and, and I'm not <laughs> even an airplane builder anymore. I want to build tanks and all I get are these airplane assignments. So, well, good luck. It's a lot of you always. It seems like every every year is a perennial issue. You're getting done something for the museum display. Oh, the, honestly, the museum display is what I spend most of my time building for. I don't build the stuff I want to build. I build the stuff that people kind of force me into. And Dave keeps telling me that there's this word no, but I'm not really sure how it works. <laughs> Well, Dave, you doing any better than that? I think you are, maybe. Well, I am. The the Kate, uh, Jim and I have a dispute about whether the Kate got finished in 2022. Technically, it did not because I've still got an antenna to, to rig uh, and an antenna post to put in, and I still haven't slipped uh, the propeller on. But other than that, it's it's done. So... Now I am focusing full-time on the Mooseroo, and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I was working from home today, and uh, uh, during a little bit of dead time, I managed to get uh, the landing gear and one half of the wheel hub sprayed, and after we finish recording this, I'm going to get the other half of the wheel hub sprayed. It's moving along. I'm, I'm 
pretty happy with it, but the problem is I'm under the gun, man. I've got at best 75, 80 days to get this thing finished. So point of order here on two points. Yes. Dave, you do understand that it's not just a propeller and landing gear for the Mustang. you got to build the whole airplane. But well, the bigger issue is I, I don't think there is a dispute of if the Kate is finished. If it doesn't have a propeller, it's not done. So you can't count that. You can't say, well, I got close. Who made you the boss of me? You've got to look at uh, Beamish's model rules of order. Yeah, by no. Bruce Beamish, and he has what counts as a finished kit right in the book, and that's not done. No, no, you're not the boss of me. Uh, I am the hobby boss of you, yes. <laughs> oh, well, let's put it this way. I'll take your advice when I see you finish something. Oh, man. <laughs> I felled him with that one. I was about <laughs> to say, who finished three models last year and who finished two? Oh, that's right. Three was me. <laughs> Mike, uh, enough of this petty squabbling. What does your bench look like? I've been kind of busy. I, I weathered the dark period fairly well. Uh, I got one run of the uh, the tracks done, the, the Tankcraft KV tracks, and and I keep threatening to make a video, so I haven't progressed any further on that because I haven't shot the video yet. But uh, I got this outline laid out. I know what I'm going to do, so hopefully I'm going to get to that in the coming week or so and uh, put that out for the world to see or make fun of uh in the meanwhile on that project uh i'm started i've started to clean up all the the parts for the railroad tracks that are going to go on the diorama base well you did a little and bit more than clean them up I, you you i've got to admit i'm a little impressed well, by did. what you did what you did with those ties it's interesting those railroad track kits they've got a lot of parts I and mean, it's a lot of the same sprue over and over and over again right right Unfortunately, the way they're designed, there's two of the track spikes molded on the tie plate. Well, for each half, so four total. And those things took a beating during transit or once from the time they were molded, put in the box, and the time I got them, a lot of them got damaged. I've got enough to do what I want to do, but uh, I guess the upside is I had a lot to experiment with. Well, because of the sides of the ties and the ends of the ties are, are parallel to the pull direction of the mold. There's no detail on them. And I, I thought they weren't going to be buried in ballast all the way up to the tops of the ties. It's typically not how it's done, at least not on mainline railroad. But right. the it was going to show. I just thought it was going to be a glaring thing that was going to show. Yeah, so. it's, a, it's a, a smooth, flat surface where it shouldn't be. On the long ends, our long sides, it, it's easy. And, and my favorite method now is to use the, the 80 grit block out of uh, the Goodman super sanding blocks. Or something like that if you ha don't have those. But uh, that's real good to put a wood grain on on plastic with because that's, that's pretty stinking coarse. That's not going to be very useful for much else other than right. big blocks of resin or something like that. But it's good for destroying plastic. Yeah. <laughs> now, a lot of railroad ties are cut from single cabers or single logs. And a lot of them have circular end grain. You know, they have the, the growth ring in the end grain. Right. And I thought that would be a nice touch, but I was like, well, how to do it? And I started out trying to just hold the tie against a piece of sandpaper on the workbench and turning it in my hand. But you can't maintain a center doing that. It's right. drifting all over the place, right? So you end up just sanding the end of the, the tie without putting any real apparent circular grooves in it. So 
I just three three D printed this little sleeve that will slip over the end of the tie, and it's it's a it's got a blind hole in the end of it. And at the bottom of the hole, I put a patch of sandpaper that I've cut with my circle cutter, my thinner line circle cutter. As you noted, that thinner line has come in much more handy than you and I might have thought it would. Oh yeah, I like it a lot. I highly yeah. recommend it. Or or I don't know how good the other ones are, the display one, or or there's a couple others too. Right. Um. But it. If they all do the similar thing, then I think it's a worthwhile investment for your workbench. But back to the ties, you slip that on there and give it a couple kind of herky-jerky turns, and you get this nice ingrain on the end of the tie, and then you can like soften it up with liquid cement and, and kind of get all the fuzz off of it. And it worked out really well. I was surprised. So I, I was amazed that it, it it worked out that well. It really looks good. If you go on the dojo, Mike has posted some photos of it, and it, they really do look like tree rings. So I've got uh, all the ties have the 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 long sides cleaned up. All the sprue gates are off of those. Uh, I've got the tie the rails. Got the sprue gates off of those, sanded smooth on the top surfaces, and, and kind of polished with liquid cement to get all the scratches out of it. Uh, the next step with that is to uh, square up the ends of the ties to truly vertical because there's a draft angle on them, right? Where they came out of the mold, so that so they would come out of the mold. And if you just put my little tool over the end of that, it'll only touch at the very bottom of the tie because the tie is not vertical on the end, right? So the the flat bottom of the hole won't won't meet a flat surface on the end of the tie. If I don't address the issue. So yeah. now I've got to set up one of my, I've got the Northwest short line, true sander, mm-hmm. the one with the block and the, the guide on it. And I, you don't need that, but uh, I used it a lot during model railroading. So I've, you know, I've got one, yeah. but yeah, I just got to hit those with sandpaper to, to get them truly vertical and then put the rings on the ends of all of those and the side grain on the, on all of those and, and then start putting it together. Cause I got to have the track to pose the wheels of the tank. So Gotcha. Uh, and I was doing something else. Oh, the turret. The turret for the KV-85 project is uh, A-Resin. It's a, it's a Russian firm. It's probably going to be hard to get right now. Uh, but the turret ring is made for I don't know what kit. I really I really don't know what kit is supposed to fit. But uh, it's actually an IS-1 turret so or an IS-85 turret, which maybe is made, meant to fit probably a Zvezda IS-2. It's probably what it's made to fit. Uh, just by the logic of it, but uh, I needed to fit a Bronco KV85 hull, so I've been trying to 3D print our new ring to put in the bottom of it to replace the one that came with the resin kit. And I don't know, it's it's a big diameter; it's hard to measure with my calipers, and I keep getting it wrong. So I'm about my third iteration. Uh, in fact, the printer stopped about 20 minutes ago, and uh, tomorrow at lunch I'll see if this one works. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to that, I've, I've had success getting the, I don't know if I talked about this before, but the catapult to the, uh, my, uh, Paul E16, Paul float plane project is, uh, base coated and satin finished is whether ready to start weathering. So I'm, when I get the inkling to start painting again, I can just crack that sucker out and go to town on it. So well, you need to hop back on that good, one. Good stuff. Yeah. So I've been busy. I did, yeah. I, I did pretty good over the holidays. Yeah. Well, good. Good. I didn't do I didn't do great, but I did better than many years. So, yeah, not not bad. <laughs> All right, guys. If that's it, we've got faves and yawns here. Uh, it's been a while since we've done it. Uh, Jim, 
since you're guest, you're our guest tonight. Do you want to give us one of your recently announced favorites? Well, that is exceedingly easy. Um, Airfix did a uh, their announcements for the year today, and they were somewhat disappointing. But I have been uh, raging on about a one thirty fifth scale ferret. And Airfix today announced a 135th scale ferret. So I'm very excited about that. Yes. Uh, uh, overall, otherwise, I found the Airfix announcements pretty disappointing, but maybe it just wasn't my year. But uh, yeah, I can see where the ferret's going to be popular. Yeah, it's never been done in 135th in injected plastic, which blows my mind. Yeah, I know. You and I talked about that about like nine months ago. And yep. and yep. it was surprising that it never has been. So, Mike, do you have a fave? Yeah, so I'm going to knock out two with one because they're kind of the same thing. And they, okay. they fall into the vein of what kind of the state of the hobby with regard to 3D printing and the kind of thing it is allowing to happen yep. in the marketplace. There's a company called EMP out of Poland. We'll start with them. Okay. Now – They've come out with a series of 3D printed headlights. I mean, like vintage auto headlights, fender mounted headlights, like on right. trucks, trucks, you know, the globe headlights or whatever you want to call them. Uh, because these are 3D printed and the geometry can be changed, I mean, in a split second a lot of times, and the size can be changed in a split second. They offer these headlights. They're just the bodies, but they offer them in three different basic shapes. And in each shape, there are six size ranges. So each 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 part number that you could buy has two different two you know, adjacent sizes, like I don't know, eight and nine millimeter diameter or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the next one's ten and eleven. So three shapes, six different sizes size ranges. So that's eighteen different headlight possibilities that you could have for uh, for I mean for scratch building replacement replacing kit parts that are solid molded. Uh, but I mean, this just, you couldn't do this without a, without a lot of time investment and expense. If you're trying to do this with traditional rubber molded resin casting. Yeah. Yeah. No, the nice thing is with, uh, uh, with three, 3d printing, once you get the CAD item, right. And now you're seeing more and more companies take figures, for instance, they'll offer you the same yeah. figure pose in everywhere from 72nd scale up to 35th scale or 32nd scale. And once they've got the basic CAD drawn, that's a that's an easy thing to change. And so I think we're going to see a lot more a lot more stuff that's cross available in multiple scales and that's going to be really kind of interesting. And I'm not sure we know all the ramifications of that yet, but I can't wait to see it. Well, I've misread my notes here. Actually, I do have two faves. We'll save one for later. The other part of the MP one is they also have a series of hand tools, 3D printed. So screwdrivers, hammers, wrenches, and all that. They got that same thing, multiple sizes, and uh, and just a you can get it. You can get it, have a bit, have whatever size you want. Well, uh, what about you? You got one? For, yeah. Uh, for my first fave, I'm going to steal uh, Jim's Thunder because uh, I suspect this is going to be one of his faves too. Uh, Vespid, Vespid models 
released a 70-second scale kit of the Centurion Tank Mark V, the uh, Slash 1 Royal Australian Armored Corps version, the ones that the Australians yep. brought to Vietnam. And that's just a wicked cool tank. I can see that one being a, a hot item. Jim, you got another fave? Well, I did, but as predicted, you stole it. Um, <laughs> I was going to mention the Vespid Centurion, which, by the way, showed up in the plastic model penthouse here last night. All right. What did you think of it? Again, it looks really good. Um, it's it's really interesting to get a package locker notification and have no idea what is waiting for you. And it even be more exciting when it's your long wished for 72nd scale Centurion. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to buy myself a uh, Tamiya F-35 because Canada just announced that they're buying some of them finally. 88 of them to be exact. Well, not 88 being signed at this time. They're buying them in uh, in in tranches. Uh, tranches with uh, some cynics saying then it, the Canadian government at the time can just decide we don't need 88 anymore. Yeah, but you will have to, to build an F-35 as soon as one shows up in Canadian markings. Yeah, in 2026, if I'm still here. So, uh, Mike, you got another fave? I do. Again, from Poland, Micro World. Uh, gotcha. They've got a bunch of... Uh, 35th and 72nd scale armor-related barrels. There may have some aircraft stuff too, but uh, in their 35th scale range, they have a barrel for uh, the Hotchkiss mounting for the Polish TKS. Nice. So looking forward to that one. I'm going to get that one for sure. And, And they've got a lot of modern tank barrels in 72nd scale. Yes, I saw that. They announced just a ton of stuff all at once. Well, you got another fave, man? Yes, I do. Hi, my name's David. I'm a decalholic. A company called DP Casper puts out sheets that are themed around either particular war or for World War II, particular operations. And they do aircraft from all all sides involved. Uh, I like their sheets. Uh, just I own a bunch of them. Uh, it tickles the right spot for me. And they just announced um, three new sheets. One is Victory in Abyssinia, uh, which is a World War II Italian-German sheet, British too. Then over the Balkans, which is the Balkan War from 93 to 99. And then they have released their first Ukraine 2002 sheet which I suspect we'll see more of those as well. But I can tell you that um, all, of, all of these sheets are going to end up eventually in, in, in the decal dungeon. So I uh, can't wait for those. Was happy to see them announced. Jim, do you have a, a, either another fave or a yawn? I have one final fave, and uh, you would you'd be shocked listening to this episode to realize I'm a 72nd scale modeler um, because my next fave is Kinetic finally announced the uh, least best kept secret in modeling that they are doing a 148 scale Canadair Tudor, the mount of the snowbirds. So I'm very excited about that. Um, 
And I think Kinetic's been doing some pretty nice models recently. So it'll be nice to finally be able to say that the Hobbycraft Tudor, at least in 148th, is consigned to the dustbin of history. <laughs> I knew that one would make you happy. And and honestly, as much as this probably makes you aghast, Dave, it's a nice model in 48th because it's kind of a small airplane. Oh, yeah. Um, that's, what, that's what I was going to say. At least it's not that big. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it's not a, a 148 scale Marauder, which I saw was announced by ICM, which would make a lot of people happy. Um, but that's a big airplane. The Tudor is a nice size. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be cool. So, uh, Mike, do you have either a favor or a yawn? Uh, I've got a yawn. And it's, I don't know how to how to couch this. I'm pondering the idea if Scalemates needs to have a restructure in the way they do things. Okay. How, how so? I like, I like scale mates. Obviously we've all been on scale mates looking at this stuff. Oh yeah. Or wherever. Right. I'm just wondering from my own trying to scroll through all the new stuff all the time. Has the scope of the releases reached a tipping point that this single column serial update is kind of not working anymore? On scalemates, and, and would you guys like to see them cut it a little? Even if they cut it coarse to aircraft armor or plastic models, I, I don't know how. But uh, or kits in aftermarket. I'm I'm. So, sometimes the dump is so big. You're right. The, the, there's so much being produced and so much being announced that you know if you go away for a day or two, it can almost be impossible to. Sc- scroll through everything. But then again, I use the little things up at the top on the side to select for scale. So I end up with a new releases list that's only 72nd scale stuff. I find if I don't put any filter on it at all, it just, there, there's just so much. It's like drinking from a fire hose. I mean, I will occasionally leave the filter off and scroll through a couple of you know, pages just to see if I see something in an odd scale that, that I find interesting. But I almost immediately, when I go to Scalemate's new releases, go over on the right-hand side and click scale filter for 72nd scale, which only currently has 5,597 new releases in the list. You know, guys, the hobby's dying. I'm, I don't know if you heard that. I saw it on the internet somewhere. It's a real shame. I can use. I could use the filters. I mean, that would work too. But I, you know, I like to see everything. Yeah, so do I. But it seems like there's just too much everything these days. <laughs> that that is, I will agree with you, you that if you try to keep up with everything, it just it is. It's like drinking from a fire hose. So when I go to to really winnow down what I find interesting, uh, I almost always filter it by scale just to check. Well. It's it's so, not a dig at scale mates. I was just no, I was just not, more of a curiosity is, is maybe the maybe the time is nigh to uh, maybe maybe for a, a website refresh. Yeah, maybe. You got a yawn or a fave, Dave? Yes, I've got a yawn, and I know as soon as I say this that our friend Steve Hustad is going to find a photograph of an ME one hundred and nine shot down and crashed on a chicken farm. And is going to end up using a bunch of these. But a 3D printing company called Offset Scale Models has announced a 3D printed set 
of 72nd scale chickens. You know? Well, of course, I mean, keep in mind with that one with the sheep, Steve actually basically scratch built all those sheep. So, you know, maybe this will save him a bunch of time when it comes to doing the chicken diorama. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, now I've seen everything. Probably not. There's more to come, man. Oh, I'm sure. Well, that's, I think, it for the faves and yawns. Unless Jim's got a yawn. I don't have any yawns. I just wanted to know when Dave became so anti-poultry. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's a good question. We'll save that for a different episode. Yeah, that might be a different podcast. <laughs> that might be. Getting the right size base for your model diorama or vignette can be difficult and time-consuming. Bases by Bill has the solution with their all-new custom size display bases. Offering sizes of 4 to 30 inches and any size in between, you choose the dimensions you want and you get the size you need every time. They can also be laser engraved with a unit emblem or custom text of your choice. In addition, shipping is always included within the lower 48 states. Built by modelers for modelers, Bases by Bill has bases and display cases for any type of model and for any size. Visit their website at basesbybill.com to see their new products or to get your own custom built base or display case quote. Use the code MOJO at checkout to apply a 10% listener discount to your order. That code again is MOJO for 10% off. Bases by Bill for all your model display needs. Well, we finally got a refresh on the Bases by Bill ad and uh, that will air in the next episode. But that brings us to our special segment tonight. And the title of this episode was uh, The Wheel and the Gym Keep on Turning. (laughs) Jim, did you like that reference? That is going to get me in so much trouble with a certain leader of the posse because he's a big Journey fan, and I think Journey is bad 80s music. But, hey, it's a funny title. (laughs) It is. And uh, tentatively name the wheel. And? It's the Wheel of Accidental Wisdom. <laughs> like it. I do. That's it for now. If you don't like it, tough crap. Yeah. <laughs> Send in a better suggestion. Uh, they sent in a bunch, but I like this one. All right. All right. Fasten your seatbelts. How much do you spend a month on your scale modeling hobby on average? Oh, spend as in money, not time. Yes, money. Is this okay to plead the fifth? <laughs> what? You're not married. You don't have anybody to answer to on that subject. Um, well, true, but it's probably embarrassingly too damn much. <laughs> you know what? It comes and goes. I mean, there are times where I'll go 60 plus days to no- and not buy anything hobby related. Then there's a month where I will buy a couple of books and a kit and something else I want, and I'll spend beep dollars. Um, (laughs) That's in case the wife tunes into this one. But it really comes and goes. Like I am about to make a significant purchase, one that I've been intending to make for about a year. So um, you know, that number's going to go up, but in the scheme of things, and this is the, the argument I've made about our hobby, 
you know, compared to somebody whose hobby is bass fishing or golf or, you know, guns, our hobby is cheap as heck, especially when you figure out the amount of time you spend in building a kit. So you amortize it out over all those hours. This is a darn cheap hobby. Well, the way I look at it is back during my Warbird flying days, even the Piper Cub was almost 100 an hour. And I was flying trainers and liaison planes that were, you know, three to 500 an hour. So if, you know, I'm a little embarrassed. I probably drop, if you average it out, 100 a month, probably, if not a little bit more. And and for some reason, it always goes up around July or August. I can never explain that. Um, <laughs> But well, I was gonna—I was gonna say Dave drops that much on on in the vendors room at at Nats, and he's sweating this silhouette cutter. Oh, right, yes. right. Oh yeah, easily. You know, I, it's hard to know what's what is the end of hobby spending. And one of my other hobbies is music, and I collect uh, vinyl. And I felt I bought two vinyl records. I want to say in November, and I felt like after spending money on those two records, I was going to be living in a van down by the river. And I don't ever feel the same way with kits, which is weird. Um, but uh, yeah, probably hundred, hundred and fifty a month if you average it out. I I would bet that. I I think I probably spend about that too. I know I, this in January since uh, I got my eBay card for Christmas and, and uh, had some cash from something else come around. I, yeah, I've probably spent 125 in January. So that's probably about right, 100, 100, 100 to $150 a month. Yeah, I, I would say that's right. And a lot of times they're really small expenses. Like if, uh, you know, I buy uh, – in fact, I got an order in from Miller, a couple of uh, uh, things of Mr. Color Thinner – uh, Mr. Retarder, and, and it doesn't am- amount up to that much. Uh, I, I may, I may drop a little bit on supplies here or there, but no, this this hobby is incredibly inexpensive, and it is only as expensive as you make it because it truly can be really inexpensive. If you buy one kit at a time, yeah, if you're a guy who that, doesn't have a stash and builds one right. kit at a time. You could yes. you could spend fifty bucks and that can keep you busy for six months. Yep, absolutely. If I, if I only bought one kit and then built a kit, yeah, no, and then bought a kit, I uh, one purchase would last me like two years. Yeah, well, we're <laughs> we're hoping to improve on that, Mike. All right. What would you eliminate from your modeling that would make you more efficient? It's open-ended. Procrastination is obviously the... I'll I'll tell you, in fact, Mike, you and I had a conversation about this. We both have our computers in our model rooms, and we both wonder if that's not detrimental to our hobby. In fact, you rearranged your model room. I don't think you came to the conclusion that you can keep it the way where the computer's currently located, but I do think that in a more ideal situation, I would not have my computer in my hobby room. Well, if we didn't have all this FaceTiming and stuff and, and all these group builds and, and model nights and crap shoots, I, I wouldn't either. 
that's good stuff. Yeah. It, 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 it's my point. That, that's why this, why this arrangement in my, my workshop's not going to work. Right. Because that, that stuff's too much of my hobby. So, right. But you, you've got, you're, you've got the mic. You, you got to eliminate something. What's it going to be? Um, Procrastination is too easy. Yeah. I know. What's making you procrastinate? You got to go eliminate that stuff. Got to cut yeah. it one level closer there, man. Yes. I've, I've, I've got to, um, I'll tell you something. Less time on my damn phone. I got to cut down on useless doom scrolling on, on my phone. And if I can do that, I can recover. I bet you if I could cut that in half, I'd recover three or four hours that I could use. Now, not always at the bench, because a lot of times when I'm doom scrolling, I'm, you know, sitting waiting for court or in line at the grocery store. But instead of looking at useless crap on social media that I could spend the time, I get scale aircraft modeling electronically, I could spend my time reading that, or I could spend my time, if I am on social media, on hobby-focused social media, and at least increase my enjoyment of the hobby rather than looking at just regular Twitter, regular Facebook. Um, I need to curate social media more so that I can recapture some time. That's a that's a 2023 goal. So, Jim, how about you? Um, I, I think if if we take this to a more holistic view to this, the one thing I want to eliminate from my modeling is seams. Like, I wish everything could be one piece. But I think the real ins- issue... <laughs> is I spend too much time being afraid. And and I was I was having well, I was sitting at a model meeting last Thursday with with uh, Too Tall Tim and he made a comment about there's so much hand-wringing in this hobby and I think he's basically saying letting fear take over instead of just do it. And and I was kind of offended he would say that to me because like I never overthink things <laughs> and then not actually build um, that would never happen in my life. But I think that's kind of my problem is just just do it. Um, I, I know you guys have talked about this before, and I don't know if I've talked about this before. But I used to be one of these guys who say, well, I'm going to save that kit till I get better. Well, having no plan to get better. And now that I've hit 50, I'm like, well, crap. Is there any reason to save anything? Because, you know, I've only got a finite amount of time to do this. So I think just do it instead of fearing the airbrush or um, being too concerned and even going back to the seams. If it's on the bottom, you can't really see it that much. So um, unless, just, unless you're in Australia, you know, I want to improve my modeling, up. but I also want to get more done. You, you are right. Uh, absolutely correct. Saving any model till later now, given where we are in life makes zero sense. If you want right. it, build it. Right. You know, and and, and, and if I it also kind of had a realization looking at my model cabinets that I don't have some of my favorite airplanes in them, so I'm just gonna build what I want to build and not being scared. I completely agree with that, Mike. Give us the practical viewpoint. Perfection is the enemy of the good. Yes. Yep. I think I can overthink things and dwell on them too long, and it's it's kind of. 
dovetails with you, Jim. It's just, it's just to just do it. A lot of times it's not fear. It's just, you know, what's, what's the solution I want to implement? It is fear. A lot of times I'm not going to excuse myself from being scared about trying new things and worrying I'm going to break something or wreck something and end up bending a model. But, uh, I think sometimes I do too much cerebral modeling. I, I, I build these things in my head and I get too much satisfaction. Maybe I'm getting too much satisfaction out of that. Maybe, maybe I need to, to get back to the tangible reality and, and uh, actually build this stinking thing <laughs> instead of creating this project and how, how I'm going to do it, this roadmap. I could just keep adding detail to the roadmap instead of actually building the model. I like that description. I got some nicer looking roadmaps, <laughs> but nobody can see them but me. <laughs> All right, spin the wheel. <laughs> can you guys hear the wheel? Yes. Yep. <laughs> what subject won't you try because you think it would look like bad modeling? <laughs> That's easy. Gloss paint on a car. <laughs> um, I don't want to say I'll, I won't try it, but I I am in public. In public, you know, because I'm. You're right. In public, uh, I may eventually try some figures, but given my challenges. I'm never going to produce a halfway acceptable figure. And so if I do it, it will be in the privacy of my own model room and there will not be any photographs or anything else of it uh, ever because I'm pretty sure it would look like bad modeling. (laughs) Jim? I already answered gloss paint on a car. Oh, you can do it. Yeah, you could do that. You really can I think I lack the motivation to do it, and I think that gloss paint... Well, that was the other spin. Yeah. I think gloss <laughs> paint is just a unforgiving medium, and I would, uh, unless I was building like the uh, orange version of the Wienermobile, like the orange mobile, I think it just would be bad looking. Mike? The figure thing, too, the bus thing. But I think I could probably get decent enough to be set satisfied with my results if I would just do it more. So I don't think that's really it. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be a Calvin Tan ever. I don't think at least not building one figure every four years. Right. It's going to be kind of going to be kind of hard to get there. Right. Yeah. Not that I think I could even get there anyway, but that's a, that's a different podcast topic. Uh, I still feel like I struggle with uh diorama composition. And I think I don't try any of the, ideas I have sometimes because I, I I'm aware of those limitations and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to try to implement the idea because I don't think I can pull it off and I think it'll look bad. Well, that's the overcoming fear thing you, you need to, because again, I go back to the conversation that Barry Numeric, Jeff Groves and I had up in Cincinnati where we were talking about building more and building faster. And that alone makes has the ability to make you a better modeler. And I know if you're doing dioramas and you're only doing one diorama every couple of years, I I recognize the challenge of that limitation. You know, none of us are night shift and are finishing a diorama in every two or three weeks. I can I can see you I can see your composition getting better and better as you go along just from doing it more and more. That's probably true. So maybe I just need to get get on the stick. There you go. Spin that wheel. 
<laughs> ah, this is like uh, modeling adjacent. Okay. What modeling related list do you track in a spreadsheet? Oh, I can. That one's easy for me. I'll go first. Decal sheets. God, I'd hope. <laughs> Thank you. I have an Excel spreadsheet of all my decal sheets. All my decal sheets are in binders that are, they have those clear sleeves in them. And the binders are numbered on the face, like 1 through 63, 64 through uh, 115. And then I have a corresponding spreadsheet where I can put in or search for a particular type of aircraft, and it will tell me all the decal sheets that contain decals for that type of aircraft. And I, speaking of which, I need to update that uh uh, spreadsheet because unfortunately I buy decals. Jim, you got a list? This is where I just am too much of a hippie lawyer to do a spreadsheet. Um, I ostensibly have a spreadsheet of a lot of my models are in, in four big boxes down storage of floor below me. And in theory, I have a spreadsheet of what's in that each box but the problem is I'll go into the box, take things out, put things in, take a look at them. So I have an out-of-date list of what's in those boxes. Well, for me, it's my evergreen sheet styrene rod tube <laughs> and strip stock list. And it's when I figure out something I need, I'll, I'll, I will check that first, see if I've got it or had it. And my list isn't current. I'll go then before I go look in my big pile because... At the old house, I had drawers that had all arranged really nice, but it's it's literally been packed in a single box since we moved into this house, which was a, an obscene number of years ago at this point. And uh, it just helps me to keep it all straight. And, and at some point, I'm going to use it to order a bunch more and get all the stuff I'm missing. So I know, so I don't have to run to Hobby Town the last minute to go see what they don't have. <laughs> Well, and and in fairness to you, that's not as weird as it might seem because you use a whole heck of a lot. Of yeah, I'm evergreen. all the time digging in there. Yeah, that might be the most Mike thing I've heard on this show ever. <laughs> yeah. I have a spreadsheet of of my uh, evergreen. Uh, <laughs> okay, Jim, Jim, you're you're not wrong, buddy. You're not wrong. It's just, it's so engineer, it makes me laugh. <laughs> yep. Yeah, what's really, what's really I'm waiting for is him to him have one of these cabinets with all these tiny little drawers and each type of styrene in each drawer and a little Dymo label on the front. <laughs> I will get there. And a spreadsheet. All right. Spin I'll, I'll remember this mocking when you have to borrow some styrene. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> This is an easy one, I think, but uh, we'll figure out something to talk about. Boxes, keep or toss? Before or after you build the kit? Uh, it wasn't qualified to such, so you can answer it either way you want, Dave. Before, obviously, I keep all my kits in boxes, um, uh, which does take up a lot of space. And I have met at least one or two modelers who toss the boxes and they put the um, kit, uh, sprues in large 
Ziploc bags, like gallon size or bigger Ziploc bags, depending on the kit. Um, once, once I am done with the model, that box goes in the trash. I don't save the box art. I don't, I used to save instruction sheets because you might need them. Now they're available on the internet. And so I toss, I toss the box and everything. Jim? It all goes in the recycle bin or the trash. I don't want to keep this stuff. In fact, I love it when I get to the point that the model's too big to go back in the box and I can toss the box even before it's finished. <laughs> well, I don't I don't keep them. In fact, I sometimes I'm tempted. Some some of the times the box art is really cool. Mhm. But, you know, it's on the internet. Exactly. You know, some people I don't know if it just I can't remember who asked this one, but I can't think I could see maybe cutting the front panel off the box top and keeping the artwork. Yeah. Cause if you did that, you could save a lot of space, but, uh, well, and I do know people who have cut, they cut the box top off and I've heard of people framing them and turning well, some them, of them into are that good. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I know with Jim previously, previously we've discussed, the Airfix box art from the classic 60s, 70s. And the Matchbox. And and Matchbox. And those, you know, those were some very classic, very inspirational pieces of art. Uh, Not to mention the the Hasegawa stuff in the the 80s and 90s. Well, yeah. Pretty much goes the recycle bin. Yep. If you're keeping them, I'm curious what you're doing with them, folks. Yes, that's talk, a, talk, that's, talk to us. That's like your, your stash takes up twice as much space if you keep the box. What next? Ooh, your biggest modeling aha. My biggest. <laughs> Actually, to me, I think it's a combination of things. Um, well, you go while Dave thinks. Yeah, you go while I'm thinking about this because there's yeah, a lot of so- I, I believe it or not, I really struggle with with a lot of the basic stuff of modeling. And one of the things that always used to be a struggle was getting not so much getting parts off the sprue, but getting the sprue nibs cleaned up. Um, for some reason, I just always had a hard time doing that. And to me, the revolutionary things were, and and I'm I want to say the God Hand Nipper. But it really was a Tamiya nipper I got before the God Hand. So high quality nippers and scalpel blades. Instead of messing around with these half dull exactos, once I went to scalpel and a quality nipper, those problems went away. So that was a pretty big aha moment. Uh, I've got many, but I'll just pick out one that's been fairly recent. And that is dealing with seams and ghost seams. And, you know, you'd, you'd work on a model, you'd get rid of the seam, you'd hit it with primer, and you would see what many people refer to as a ghost seam. And only in the last few years, and, and I know, okay, I'm stupid, I'm slow, whatever, have I figured out that a lot of that is not really a ghost seam, but has to do with the differential... Um, polish on the plastic compared to where the seam was and where it wasn't. And that you solve 99% of those 
by hitting the seam with a second round of um, Mr. Surfacer 1500 black primer in the rattle can, and they disappear and stay disappeared. Uh, that I, I don't know why it took me so long to figure it out, but it did. And once I figured it out, uh, it improved the speed of my modeling because I was not going back and hitting seams again and again and again. Mike? Well, for me, I think it was, uh, it's why I like the Goodman sanding blocks so much. I, you know, I had some before that I'd make myself and it was, is getting to that point, not overusing those foam back sanding sticks and stuff and trying to, you need to maintain a sharp edge on something and you're going to town on some sprue gate or something on, on a part and you're using one of those soft face things. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you've got, you got the corners gone. I'm like, what the heck? I was being careful. (laughs) (laughs) And just to learn when I, when I really learned which sanding tool I need to use for, for, for what's what situation and try to, instead of trying to use a one size fits all approach to that. So just tool knowledge. That's a good one. Tool knowledge. Well, if you take what, Uh, Jim was talking about with the nippers and sharp scalpel blades, you know, I would say that's a, that's a a subject we might expand into a full uh, special segment is tool knowledge, knowing what tool you need for what job. And the fact that you might save a few bucks buying the cheap tool, but in general, that's not truly a savings when you take into account the differential effect. We might, we might have to make that a whole special segment because I think we could talk about that for a long time. And I'll give you the title right now. Don't be a tool, buy good tools. Oh, I like that. <laughs> okay, Mike, write that down. All right. So if any other podcast out there use that, you know. You know where it came from. You're, you're a thief. You're a thief. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, here's kind of the... The flip side of that modeling techniques once used, once loved, but now rarely used. I can think of at least one in general, and we joked about well, this. What is it? Dry brushing. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. I was going to say, yeah. I remember when dry brushing was the modeling technique. There was no chipping, there was no pin washes, there was no. Uh, you know, any of the, all of this stuff that we see now, it was all about dry brushing and what you could do with dry brushing and the different layers you could create with dry brushing. Many of those techniques are actually still applicable in certain situations. But back at the time in the 80s and 90s, it was the technique. And it's faded into obscurity, at least until AK comes out with their dry brushing paints. Oh, wait a minute. They are, they already have, haven't they? To pile on, it's, it's, I laugh because it's a little worse than that. I mean, when the current crop of techniques were avant-garde, not only did dry brushing fall out of favor, it was made a pariah the idea it was actively actively mocked it was actually actively mocked and panned 
even in situations where it was applicable. And I, I just the the uh, the irony of some of these companies now who were were propagating that <laughs> that uh, that line of uh, philosophy, I guess, coming out with dry brush paint. I, that's 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 rich. That's all, yes. I, all I can say about that. Well, Jim, what what have you? What do you got to say? You know, I'm going to, you guys took the most obvious one, um, but I'm going to take one that's a little bit different. And maybe this is growing up as a child of the eighties is before resin, there was a lot of UK uh, white metal coming on the market. Aero club being the most well-known yes. there's a company called C scale. You had all these kits, um, all these detail parts in white metal and nobody's using that anymore. Nope. That just completely disappeared. And you're right. I mean, at at one time, Aero Club was the go-to for aftermarket engines and aftermarket propellers and aftermarket ejection seats all yep. in white metal. And then... And I still have a lot of that stuff, but nobody's using, nobody's making it anymore. So do I. But you are right. That's one I think where technology between resin and then I think 3D printing is probably going to do to resin what resin did to white metal. I think you're probably right. Though I do wonder if we're always going to see resin because resin works really well for like wire intensive cockpits. Yeah. But I think for a lot of what we're seeing in resin... Yeah, we're going to see it in 3D print. Yep, I agree. Which technically still is resin, I guess. But Yeah, yeah, I um, know. Just a different kind. It's just not cast resin. Right, right. Good stuff. Spin that wheel, Mike. Got to watch the time, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having fun, man. Modeling derelicts. Okay, what what does that mean? Uh, The hyper-weathered junk heap, the abandoned whatever. Oh, and, you mean uh, the, the the ones where they take the weathering to an extreme? Yes. There's a time and a place for it, but unless you are actually modeling a long abandoned piece of equipment, I I I think this may might get at the the weathering trend, uh particularly in armor. I, well, I think that's that's what they they are modeling. Well, you know, there's a lot of you see a lot of these Soviet aircraft abandoned airbase, right? Things too, and but if if that's what you're modeling, I've got no problem with that. If you are making every vehicle you build, including ones that are purportedly still in service, well, that, that's look- outside the scope of the of the of the topic. This is specifically derelicts, not allegedly allegedly overweathered models. I don't. I I think that 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 can be a wonderful exercise in weathering. If you want to uh, model a long abandoned car, well, again, ring the bell because we're going to mention his name. Night shift not that long ago did that VW Bug that was abandoned in the woods, and that was a beautiful exercise in let's call it hyper-weathering, a long-abandoned vehicle, and it looked like what it purported to be. I, I have no problem with that. In fact, I think that can be a great way to 
push yourself and push your skills trying something that weathers to that extent, but you're still attempting to make it look realistic. So I've got no problem with yeah. that in and of itself. Jim, you got an opinion here? Because I do. I'm saving mine. Uh, I was just going to say, who sent that message and how dare they describe me that way? <laughs> but other than that, I have no input. So go ahead, Mike. I guess fundamentally, you could say I had an axe to grind. A lot, of these, a lot of these things are beautiful, but my axe that I ground, I, it was from my more competitive days. So it was at Amps one year, and the model that won best Russian was a derelict T-28 bridging tank that had a bunch of modern graffiti sprayed painted on it. And I, at that time, couldn't couldn't reconcile that because... Coming at it from the historical point of view, that I typically that's the way I approach my modeling. In in my mind, when that thing, when it's when its crew, when it was in service and its crew handed it over for the last time to the motor pool and they went and scrapped it, it stopped being what it was intended to be. Like 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 a British chieftain on a as a range target. Okay. It stopped being a chieftain tank when it was decommissioned. Now it's just a now it's a chunk of steel. So now if that model goes out there and wins best British armor, I can't call me wrong, call me stupid. I can't get my head around that. I, I think that that's outside the vein of the I don't even know how to say it. So your objection is to the classification of it as Russian armor when it no longer really constituted Russian armor, but was simply scrap metal that used to yeah that's a be good way to say it. a piece of russian armor or in the case of a chief that's right a piece of british armor that's right. right that it would be an other instead of best british or best russian because it no longer was a and i don't want to say operational because clearly that's not the constraint you're going for but it was at that point no longer it's almost a spiritual thing. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. It's no longer that subject in spirit. So in my in my opinion, it should be something else. Gotcha. But there's some beautiful work being done. And oh, I don't, and I don't object to it. Now, I've called it modeling Baroque before, and I'll, I'll stand by that. Yeah. Uh, some of it is way over the top, but it's freaking amazing. Um, yep. But but in my in my opinion, that's what it is. It's kind of a Baroque approach to... To scale modeling. And that's fine. Yeah. Well, guys, we're getting long here. You want to do one more? One more. Yeah, Spin that it. wheel. Got to figure out which computer I'm on. We're going to need some new topics after this. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to delete that one. Okay. We already did it. Spin Hit it. the wrong button. We got to spin it again, as Bob Barker once said. There you go. Spin it again. Mike, I've just disturbed that you've not at any way referenced about spin it right round like a record right round, but whatever. I see, you just did it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, I can tell that was a musical reference. I have zero clue what you two just said. <laughs> it's an 80s song that got turned into a rap song in the 90s, I think. Either not late 90s or early 00s. Okay, but- I... I want. I want. Wait a minute. I want to state state this 
ground right here. Music died in 1976, and there has been no progress since that point. Thank you, Grandpa. That's not true at all. This was timely because we had an interesting exchange on on the dojo. Have you ever forgotten a part and not realized it until it was pretty much too late to do anything about it? Oh, God, yes. Uh, (laughs) On at least one, if not more, one occasion, I have looked into a sealed cockpit to realize that I left the control column out? Well, that sucks. The answer to that is yes. And at that point, you're not doing anything about it. I was going to say, I think I do this on about every model. I either lose a part or inadvertently forget something. I don't know that I've had a total disaster. I'm trying to think. I, I don't think I have. Have you ever left off a part and then realized it at the end, but were still able to save it by attaching it? Because that's kind of a related. Uh, I've probably done that. I can't think of a, an example in recent history. I can where, I can remember an, an, an F4, F3. I completely left the pitot tube off of until I entered it in a contest. And it won. And then when I got it home, I realized, oh, heck, you forgot to put the pitot tube on the wing. So, you know. I did, and everything was fine, but, uh, you know, just goes to show you. <laughs> I've certainly done what you've done, Dave, where you're, uh, you leave the control column out or you leave cockpit parts out, and then just before you're putting the canopy on, you realize, oh, crap, I left these out, and then you're looking all over, where are they, you know, what, what, what tin or box are they in to put them in before it's too late? Well, see, mine is worse. I have, at least on one occasion, if not more than one, actually put the canopy on, sealed it, uh, you know, uh, uh, masked it, painted it, took the de- put took the masking off, looked down through the glass, and realized I had not put the the control column in there. Oh wow! And at that point, it's like, okay, if somebody catches me, that's great. <laughs> I I have a bad tendency of losing those um I guess they're CO2 or oxygen bottles and spitfires. So I yes. built a couple spitfires that I I'm, I'm not sure you can see it's missing but it's not really in there. <laughs> All right, well, we better wrap it up there guys cuz we could go on and on. Yeah. Uh, this is fun. I'm telling you what. I I really like the wheel. Now so, we used we used up a lot of uh subjects guys. So we're counting on you to refill the wheel. So if you've got an idea for a a quick topic or a quick subject, please send it in to us. Guys, if we're at the end of the episode, um, that means we're probably toward the end of our modeling fluid. You want to give us a a 15-second summary, Jim? This is a, a, a maybe the worst modeling fluid summary ever. I forget what bourbon the Noffles gave me, but it's really good, and maybe that's why I forgot it. <laughs> well, the, the Michter's is, is still good. It's gone now, but uh, highly recommend Michter's Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. If you want to spend a little bit more, go for it. Which is made in Louisville, Kentucky. To, literally, their home offices are two blocks from my office in downtown Louisville. My uh, modeling fluid was the uh, Lexington Brewing Company's charismatic 
Pilsner. It's 4.5% alcohol, so it's a really good light beer to drink, particularly in the summer if you're out by the pool or you're doing yard work. Uh, It's refreshing. It's got a fair amount of body to it for uh, for a golden pilsner, it really has. It doesn't taste like water. A lot of beer, when you get to the lighter alcohols and the the lighter beers, tend to be indistinguishable from water. They don't really have much flavor. This one does. I I can I can recommend it. Jim, why don't you start with your shout out of the month? All right. Well, unfortunately, my shout out is not a positive one. Um, We are kind of reeling here in the the Pacific Northwest Seattle modeling community. Um, One of our uh, denzines of modeling and IPMS president for life, Terry Moore, passed away on uh, Tuesday, um, I think between five and six o'clock. And it's just hard. No, Monday. Sorry, it was Monday. And uh, just hard to figure out. He was a great man, uh, great modeler, great friend. And uh, it's hard to even comprehend that he won't be at the next meeting. So kind of been a sad couple days here in Seattle. Yeah. And I'm afraid, you know, given that our hobby skews older, we are going to continue to confront this and it doesn't get any easier. I had a few interactions over the years with him. A really, really nice person. Yeah, some I saw somebody described on the internet. He was tall, and his personality was equally large, and that's totally true. Um, he was a huge B seventeen fan. Um, he, uh, th- I didn't learn this till later in life, and I think I mentioned this last time I was on. He had a model company in the eighties, two nine nine models. So my yeah. first interaction was buying a a short run BD five J from him uh, through the mail, and then many, many, many years later, you know meeting him in person and getting to call him a friend. And that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, way, even way too young. And uh, it just sucks. I, 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 it's, it's hard not to even know what to say. So, well, and Jim, it does go to emphasize, you know, this is a hobby about little plastic kits and, and we spend a lot of time at our bench alone building, but really the best aspect of this hobby is the people we meet along the way, which is why I yeah. always encourage people to go to contests, go to the nationals. I mean, the contests are fun. The, the vendor rooms are great and all of that. But the interactions you have with other modelers are truly the best part of, of the hobby. It, it brings us yep. together. So I'll miss him. It's it's a shame. So, uh, yeah, Miss Terry, thoughts are with with, uh, Jill. I'm not even sure how she's handling this, and just it's been a sad couple days. Understood. Uh, My shout-out this this episode is to all of the people over the last couple of months, and, and there's almost too many of you to acknowledge by name, who have joined or rejoined IPMS USA. I can tell you, I just finished up the last board meeting uh, a couple of days ago, and the number of members is at 4,733, somewhere in there. And IPMS USA has not had that many members in a number of years. 
a number of years before I took over as retention and recruitment secretary. I want to thank each and every one of you. Uh, now I'm going to ask you an additional favor, and that is to participate in the organization, uh, whether you contact uh, uh, the uh, folks who do the uh, kit reviews or you interact on the forum because IPMS USA does have a forum, uh, parts of which are restricted only to members. The society gets better the more people participate in it. And I want to thank you for joining. It, it, I, I take it as a personal compliment and a personal favor for each and every person who's done that. And uh, now get more involved in the hobby and in the national organization. And I guarantee you, you'll have more fun. Well, I don't have the list of names in front of me, but uh, I'll, I'll reconcile that in the next episode. But uh, I need to shout out all the new Patreon and PayPal contributors who have helped uh, help the show along financially. If you'd like to contribute to Plastic Model Mojo, you can do so one of two ways. Uh, if you would like to make a re- recurring contribution, you can go to Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Plastic Model Mojo, or just search for Plastic Model Mojo in their search bar once you get to Patreon. And there you can uh, sign in for a, uh, a recurring contribution from a dollar on up, and uh, they'll handle all the, the billing for that on a monthly basis. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution or manage your own recurring contribution, you can do that through PayPal. And if you go to www.plasticmodelmojo.com, uh, there's a heart icon in the upper right-hand corner of the, of the page, and you can follow that link to our PayPal page and and do whatever you like there. And we really appreciate it. It's going to help us uh, bring you a great 2023 for Plastic Model Mojo. So thank you very much. Well, guys, I think we're getting toward the end of the episode. I think we are too, Dave. And Jim, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, Dave. So many kits. So little time. So little time.